This episode of the JomoCast is sponsored by Freedom. Freedom is an easy-to-use app that allows you to block distractions across all of your devices to work and live distraction-free. Visit freedom.to slash jomo to learn more. Welcome to the JomoCast. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Join us as we sit down with leading founders, creators, and thought leaders to learn how they embrace the joy of missing out. These guests are choosing to digitally detox and usher balance into their busy lives. Let's dive right in. A friend of mine once made a move that took him almost completely across the USA, and which for various reasons had to be done in two separate trips by car. Upon returning to his soon-to-be former home to fill a moving van with stuff, he discovered that a flood had happened in his absence and had destroyed nearly all of his possessions, which had been packed together in boxes on the ground floor awaiting his return. This caused him to, after much anguished venting, head back across the country to his new home, empty-handed. Fast forward a few months, and he couldn't stop raving about how much he loved his modern, spacious living space. Everyone complimented him on his apparently newfound sense of taste and order. He even remarked that his living situation had made him feel calmer, less stressed, and more focused. He attributed the lifting of this mental burden to having a home containing only what he needed, just the things he replaced as he went along as needed and that it never would have happened if he hadn't started from zero. This anecdote is meant to help give a mental picture of how to enact my next guest's philosophy, essentialism. Greg McEwen is the author of the global bestseller Essentialism and the Upcoming Effortless, and came to his philosophy when he realized that in the absence of a blueprint for what his own home and life should be filled with or absent of, his eminently relatable, fast-paced tech job was more than happy to fill it for him with ever-growing demands on his time, energy, loyalty, and feelings. Where Marie Kondo's now famous concept of tidying up can be applied broadly in life to looking at the massive teetering pile of all we have and all we are and pruning away the things that don't serve us, essentialism is its opposite start with the conception of our lives as an empty vessel at zero, my friend's new empty house, and say, what do I choose to add? What is required to be my essential self and allowing nothing else to linger in our home or in our lives? The philosophical roots of essentialism are ancient, going back to the very dawn of Western philosophy with the Platonic concept of idealism that things are their best, brightest, and truest when they are stripped of anything besides the things that make them themselves. Though the concept is millennia old, its message is more relevant than ever. As our societies have become richer, bigger, and more option-filled, and better able to offer the chance of ever more material pleasure, we have not correspondingly become happier or more fulfilled. It's interesting. We are more anxious, lonely, depressed, and bereft of purpose, more in need of Greg's call to return to our essence than ever. 
Greg believes each of us has an essential mission in life. In fact, he's on a mission to create a community of essentialists who support each other in protecting the asset, investing in the most important organization in the world, family, and accomplishing what really matters. He believes you can not only design an essential life, you can do it with ease and joy too. Greg McEwen, thank you for joining me on the JomoCast. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Uh, it was pretty fun seeing you on the Steve Harvey show talking about Jomo. Yeah, he didn't get it. When, <laughs> when, I, when I said FOMO, he, I don't think he'd even heard of FOMO before. And so then, then, yeah, fear of missing out, obviously, and then Jomo, joy of missing out. And he was quite relieved that that's what it meant. But uh, yeah, I felt like I was uh, introducing that to him. But the audience knew what FOMO was, clearly. Yes, yes, they did. And he has spent his whole life, incidentally, really struggling with this. Uh, I mean, he told me that he hasn't taken a break from working since, like, he hasn't taken a summer off since he was 16 years old. Wow. So, and this was, he was telling me, I think, when he was turning 60. And he really took that summer off as a reaction to being exposed to essentialism and an alternative way of thinking. And so it, it, was, it was interesting to watch him try to apply and to learn and to think about an alternative way of doing life. But I think that's what, I think that's what JOMO represents to people and what essentialism represents to people once they read it. They just go, I've spent my whole life doing it this way because that was the default option. I didn't know there was an alternative path. I didn't know there was a way out of this one. Uh, and and probably the saddest thing that somebody's ever shared with me after reading Essentialism was someone who said, look, I, I really enjoyed it. I wish I had read it 50 years ago. Right. The, the 50 is what is, you know, is sad in that. It's not five years ago before I went through a particular set of experience. I mean, 50 years, that's your life that you feel like you wish you'd done differently. So read it now, people. <laughs> read it now. Yeah, read it. Now. I mean, read it now. Obviously, that sounds a bit uh, presumptuous on my part. part to, to, but read it with people. That's what I say to people now. I just had the most interesting conversation on. Um, well, it was interesting for me, but on the uh, the, the the What's Essential podcast uh, that I run, and it was with the CEO of a company called Uncharted, who read the book on his own. But then he, he, so he got into those ideas himself, but then he applied it to the company. He got everybody to read it in the company and they experimented. They said, okay, that's going to be our mental preparation for actually moving to a four-day work week for the whole company. And they've done that now. And so I was just so fascinated to hear like line by line, you know, all the details of how he did that. So people get paid for 40 hours. They contribute what they used to from 40 hours, but they're actually doing it in 32 hours. Uh, I, I, I mean, truly, it's like a Jomo story because when he shared with me the things that people are doing now instead of doing that day of work, volunteering, learning languages, time spent just with family. I mean, it's just been this much higher quality of life for everybody. And they haven't actually had to give up value contribution at work. I, I think it. I think it's an amazing story. I would just love to start off earlier in this interview to hear your own story about what made you an essentialist. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're referring to the experience when I got an email from my um, from my boss at the time that said, yes. well, the email said, Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby um, because I need to be at this client meeting. And I mean, even as I say that out loud, I mean, I'm sure there was at least some joking about that. But my wife was expecting and we it was, you know, close to the end. And as it turns out, we are in the hospital you know, Thursday night and our daughter's born early hours Friday morning. And instead of being focused on that, you know, pristinely clearly vitally more important experience i'm feeling torn i have my laptop out i have my phone and i'm trying to balance it or i'm trying to and that's what i'm saying to myself and then to my shame i go to the meeting and afterwards even i remember my boss said look the client will respect you for the choice you just made you know to be here and to to, to have done this and, and i'm not sure that's even true i don't really remember the look on their faces evincing that sort of respect but even if they had clearly it's a fool's bargain uh, you, you, you're violating something more important for something less important. And I learned an important lesson, uh, which is if you don't prioritize your life, then someone else will. And uh, I mean, people listening or watching to this can, you know, maybe they never pulled a McEwen, but I think lots of them will feel stretched too thin at work or at home, will feel busy, but not necessarily productive, uh, will feel um, that their day is being constantly hijacked by other people. And so if they are, if the answer is yes to any of those things, then the way out is essentialism. And that's the language eventually I was able to give to it. But there's an alternative way to do life. Instead of trying to do it all for everyone all the time, um, instead of trying to follow what, maybe the undisciplined pursuit of more, you pursue the disciplined pursuit of less. Less but uh, better. Less but better. I don't know a single person in my life that doesn't feel stretched thin right now during COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I mean that's uh, that's that's got to be true. It's mentally fatiguing. It's emotionally exhausting, and I think that I would describe it as the great convergence that's going on right now. Where I don't even want to use the word integrated because that implies it all kind of works and. That, just everything suddenly got pushed together for people. Mm -hmm. uh, great uncertainty on the outside, but then internally at home, lots of people, they're suddenly doing home education. They never planned on doing that. They're suddenly working from home. They didn't expect to do that. All these people doing Zoom calls in closets, eat, sleep, Zoom. That's their whole life. Crazy life. Look at their, look at their Fitbit at the end of the day. They've gone 300 steps. This isn't the life they were expecting to have. They haven't had a, had a chance to adjust to it. Uh, as it turns out, we do home education with our children, but it took us like five years to sort of incrementally do it. Uh, I work from home. I write from home. But again, it, you have a lot of time to adjust to it and how you want it to work and make all the pieces work. Uh, to suddenly do that overnight, I mean, that's not how change is supposed to work. No. So I think it's inherently enormously overwhelming for people. You've said that we can reduce the friction of executing the essential in our work and our lives simply by creating a buffer. Most of us during COVID feel like we've lost our buffer, what little margin we may have had. How have you adapted your approach in 2020 and what strategies can you share to help us keep pursuing the essential things right now? Maybe just some practical stories from your own life. Like, how are you living the essentialist approach during 2020? 
one really practical thing is that I have an, an end time to my workday. There's no natural end for anybody now. And so, and, and it just also convergent. If you're on a Zoom call or if you're searching online for something or if you're just doing total trivia, it all blends into itself. And so people don't stop at five to get in the car and go home or six or seven. And if you're not stopping at seven, it might as well be eight and then nine. And, and it's just this endless you know, loop and you don't even know what day it is. And, and so one of the things that, that, that I did is I said, okay, I was inspired by somebody else, Ben Bergeron, who I interviewed on the, on, on the show, uh, is um, he had a practice before COVID of he would walk out of a meeting at 5.25 no matter what so that he could be in the car at six and be home by seven. And he kept that in a document and found that he did it 75% of the time. When I heard that, I was like, okay, so I need to be a better essentialist. You know, I've been out-essentialized by, by this great person and I want to be inspired by him. And, and so five o'clock, I go out, I leave the office and literally shout to the whole house, you know, like it's five o'clock, you know, like a, like a talking clock or something. And, and that just gave me an excuse to stop. So now it's not like I, I ever get to the five o'clock and I'm, okay, everything is done. I don't have anything else I would like to accomplish. But there's no such thing as there. It's like drinking the ocean. So you've just got to have a, a stop point. And so five is my stop point. And I've done that, you know, certainly upwards of 80%. I would say it's, I mean, actually, I'd say for several months, it's been pretty much every day. I just, that's what we've done. The only time I'm not doing that is if I've already left. And that just helps to create one clear buffer. So that you can, you, you show up better to, to, you know, for me and my, we have four children, my wife, Anna, I may show up better if I, if I come out at a set time, I can help with things. I, and so you have more positive interactions. That's one thing that I, I think is really good. Um, that, that's been helpful. Second practice, this is not unique, but we've done it every day. Uh, now anyway, it's got to, to, to about every day as I go on about an hour long walk with my wife. We're fortunate we live in a pretty uh, kind of relatively out in nature. And so it's a very peaceful place to walk. That's not true for everybody. I get that. But we'll go out and just talk. No agenda. Uh, we just, I mean, for an hour. I mean, that's quite, that's quite a lot of time you could feel to skip that. But the physicality, of the, it's the physical benefit, the emotional benefit, the relational benefit, you know, the alignment that you get, it's just been really good for, for, my my mental health and for her mental health and and so that's simple practice but i think it's another way of creating space um i mean i think i think maybe the the most important principle is don't try to recreate your old life this is not that yeah it's something new and you've got to face it's the new thing some things about this way of living will be easier and better than before if you embrace them but some things you just can't have anymore. It's just not like that now. And so I, I, I think it's not trying to recreate every meeting you were in before, recreate the life you had before. It's time to reimagine, recreate, design something new um, from, from other things. Those are really great practical suggestions. I love that you practice them in your own life. I love that joyful delineation between your work life and calling out, I've got three kids, so I can imagine hollering, you know, from the top stairs, mommy's free, you know, 5 p.m. <laughs> and they know it, 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 nothing changes. It's not like, it's not wild, but you just stop and you otherwise don't. Yeah. Because there's nothing, no, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. It gives you a stop point. That's good. 
You ask, what if we stopped celebrating being busy as a measurement of importance? What if instead we celebrated how much time we had spent listening, pondering, meditating, and enjoying time with the most important people in our lives? And my question for you is, how does someone know what to choose to spend their life on above all else? Um, well, I think that I think that those two that, that, that there's a causative relationship there. If you don't create space to think, plan, create, imagine, dream, relax, sleep, if you don't do those things, you will almost like of necessity, but not necessity, you just will naturally get into a flow of email, meetings, activity, responsibilities, people responding, you know, you, you just, it's an endless flow. You respond to someone in email, the chances are pretty high that they're going to email you back. So even if you were responding to them, they're going to email you back. So email is like endlessly self-generating. Yes, it is. And so the more you do it, the more you'll do it. And so I just finished a new book, um, frankly, thanks a little bit to COVID. And I was already on the, it was due in August. Um, and every day of COVID that I've written on, every day I thought, man, what was your plan, Greg? Um, you know, like, I don't know how I would have fit, hit, hit that deadline, but it just, so it's been, a, for me personally, quite a helpful forcing function. Um, at the end of having done that, my wife said, look, I think we need to sort of take, you know, we didn't do any vacation. There's nowhere to go now. Uh, one of our daughters has, uh, has been undergoing serious treatment that's um, meant she's been immune suppressed. And so we, we've been in like double lockdown for like the whole time. Um, and so, so anyway, we get to the end of that. We haven't really had like a vacation in the normal sense of it. And so she said, look, I think we need to take a couple of weeks to plan and dream and think and, hmm. and, uh, and, and the word dream was the word that grabbed me. I thought, yeah, that's, and we really did that. So I uncommitted from meetings. If this was rescheduled, that would be why. I don't know if it was or not. It was. It was. And that's why. And I, I, I would say I'm sorry, but. Don't be sorry. It really, it really was like so useful. What had happened is that the book had taken two more weeks to do. And so, so everything that was scheduled for that got rescheduled. And then suddenly she made this suggestion. And I was like, that is so wise. We just got to do it. And so most of those appointments got pushed out. And, uh, and so suddenly there was just space on my calendar. And I, I literally experienced what I know many other people have done after they read essentialism and start applying it, which is that I, I said, I've got my life back. I felt this. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be unusual if I would wake up and there would maybe, maybe would be one appointment on the schedule or none. And it wasn't like we didn't do anything at all. I mean, we still have four children. You still got, you know, normal life. You still, they're still back at school by this point. I mean, this, this is still plenty of life to live, but it meant that if we wanted to just go for a longer walk, if we wanted, I mean, we have, we have a nice hot tub and so that, you know, not, not everybody does, but we're just able to sit there and talk for hours and, and, and just be. And we knew that if we had enough space, we would talk about the big ideas of the future. We knew ourselves well enough to know that if we're relaxed, we will still get insights. But those bigger insights, I think, only come when you are in a certain state uh, of, of, of relaxation. Of, and, and so for overachievers, I think a lot of overachievers feel guilty if they aren't doing. And so they feel like they're wasting time if they're 
hanging out, if they're just playing a game, if they're just, if they're relaxing. And in fact, I think for a lot of overachievers, they don't even know how to relax. You know, maybe it's watching TV or it's maybe it's, some, but, but actually really just relaxing and having, I know, I know it's not always possible, but a sort of luxurious amount of time just to think again and just to be and explore. It's like a bit like, you know, the, the upside is it's a bit like a slingshot. Because you, you, you go into a relaxed position, you're invested in that, but what it gives you is it, is, is it propels you forward afterwards. You're more charged up. You've, you've slept. Um, if, you, if you're able to sleep, if you're able to, you know, suddenly you have, you have new insight. You have what's necessary to help you figure out what is essential. What's a better contribution? I, I've almost never had those insights come to me when I'm buried in you know, living out of my inbox. There's, there's not, you know, that's a different mindset. You get into a just kind of efficiently, okay, make decisions. What do I need to do with this? And there is a place for that, but you are not going to get your big life, you know, reveals no. happening in those moments. At least I never have. And I, I think the research is pretty consistent that that's true for other people. So you, it's in the get to a state that actually allows these things to be brought forth. Um, one of the principles in my new book is is the principle of being in the effortless state and the importance of of that for highest productivity if you're not in an effortless state you are not in your optimal performance and 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 you can be out of the effortless state for a while and still be overall making a big contribution but if you try to live there you try to live in an exhausted forced frenzied state you, what you're really doing is reducing your capacity fast. And, and so you can't do that forever. And one of the problems about getting out of the effortless state, one of the challenges is that when, we are, when we're sleep deprived, when we're mentally exhausted and so on, the nature of that problem is that you're not good at discerning that problem. So it perpetuates itself. So I, I just see a lot to be said. If you want to know what your great contribution is and so on, you want to know what your, your 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 next big you know goal in life is your next dream you've got to create a different type of experience and and, and carve some of that out uh, if you possibly can I'd like to tell you about a wonderful tool developed by a supporter of the Jomocast We've talked a lot about how social media and mobile apps are designed on purpose to be habit-forming, distracting, and to let us thoughtlessly lose hours of our day. Part of cultivating intentional tech use means taking control back from influences like this and not letting them get in the way of what really matters. The Freedom app works across all your devices at once. Mac, Android, anything you've got freeing you from the distractions that you choose. You can block time-wasting sites and apps or the entire internet for a deeply productive, focused session. Freedom gives you complete control of how much help you need and when. With a premium Freedom subscription, you can schedule daily or weekly sessions across specific sites, apps, and devices. Freedom users report regaining about two and a half hours of productive time every single day. Wow. 
Because I believe in never advocating something I don't value myself, I've been using freedom and had a wonderful first experience with it. After choosing to block all distracting apps, I later tried opening Facebook and got the message, you are free, do what matters. I can't think of any purer expression of Jomo than that. Give freedom a try with a special JomoCast discount. Install and upgrade to a premium yearly or forever plan for 40% off with code JOMO, J-O-M-O. Find out more at freedom.to slash JOMO. That's freedom.to slash JOMO. I encourage you to give freedom a try. You've written that if we don't prioritize things in life, someone else will. Yeah. When it comes to the use of our online platforms and apps, we are giving permission to someone else to direct our time and attention, promoted and sponsored ads, alerts, push notifications. Even reading your Twitter account the other day, I saw three sponsored posts. (laughs) On mine? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's not for me. No, I know it's not. But it's I'm looking at Greg McEwen. I'm I'm intending to look at Greg McEwen content, but instead I'm seeing sponsored ads. You've often spoken of the distraction in our world, including technology and social media as a major generator of the clutter of life. People often respond to these kinds of statements saying these are unavoidable parts of modern life. They can't function in the world without them. What, in your opinion, is the essentialist approach to tech? I'm so excited to ask you this question. Well, let's start off with one principle, which is that all technology and social media certainly would fall within this for me. It's like it makes it can make a good servant, but it makes a really poor master. So that's like the first my first position on this. That's like my line of the sand. Like these tools can be used, I think, in very productive ways. I think they can be they can be places to learn. They can be places to stay. Uh, I mean, I've learned a great deal, frankly, from using social media in, in strategic ways to learn to understand where people are at. I just set, did a ser- series of polls over the last few days to sense. I mean, here we are in is- isolated, relatively isolated. I used to travel and speak with you know thousands and thousands of people in, 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 every, in a given period. And I would learn a lot from people by listening to them, by sensing them where they are. I mean, we can't do that. So I feel like there's a lot that can be utilized in it. But if we're just eating social media, if we're just in the consuming of it, then I think there's a a lot of downside to that. Uh, so I think that what we want to do is 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 a few things to make the default more like um, a digital essentialist. So, for example, certainly turn off all notifications on all devices. That's like to me, I would describe that as no brainer. Uh, if you haven't already done it, you just you just got to start there. Um, everything off. Second, I would go through all apps uh, on your phone, particularly, and just get rid of everything. Uh, like make it a boring phone, and then you bring it back app by app. There are, there are. I mean, phones have tremendous utility. Of course, they do. Uh, we would, we wouldn't find. I mean, we find them useful. They can do things that we can't do without them. Uh, so I think that that's where I would generally, you know, advise people to go to. I think I would find if there's social media that is particularly tempting that we feel like we're being addicted to. I mean, I worked with somebody that was spent 14 to 16 hours a week on Instagram. 
and it was keeping him from being able to progress in his business and what he wanted to be doing. And so he just gave his uh, his password to his to his spouse for for a week or two just to try and get a cleanse of it so that he could make progress on his business. And so I think what might sound quite extreme, I don't think is so extreme. I think having a social media fast, a digital fast every so often is a really good idea. Uh, the longest I've ever gone, which doesn't sound impressive to me, but I think it's probably longer than most people have gone. Uh, recently. I, I just did it two and a half weeks. So I wasn't once in email, wasn't once online. I was never online for two and a half weeks. And that sort of fasting from like a low calorie diet, let's say, or in this case, I guess, zero digital calories. <laughs> when I came back to it, I mean, I was really interested to see what was going to be in my inbox. Um, and it took me, I think, two or three hours to go through pretty much everything. Wow. And I just thought... That's really fast. Yeah, well, there wasn't... It was. I mean, it was over the holidays. So there is less that... I mean, generally, people shut down mostly for sort of Thanksgiving Day and the day before when they're traveling. Like, those are very low. And then and then over the holidays, you know, typically Christmas and in that period, people are sending less stuff. But still, I would have checked much more often if I had just... I mean... I would have spent a lot more time on email through that period if I had not just blocked out and not done any of it. It was very liberating. And I have to admit, even now, I mean, I haven't really done that since then. That was a, that was a few years ago. And that uh, the biggest single insight, career insight uh, I've had in those years happened then while I was there and I wasn't searching for it. It came because of the state that you're in uh, and because you're, you know, I, I read the whole of Anna Karenina and I spent time with our family, and my children still talk about it. They could, they wow. could tell the difference. I mean, we were in a, we were in a great place, and we were doing great activities. It wasn't just that, but they could feel, and I could feel the difference. And uh, so, those are some of the things that I would suggest for an essentialist approach to digital, you know, media. Um, when my children, we've done other things. I mean, we have uh, all through the summer, which. I mean, what's the difference anymore? Summer, non-summer, it's all like, it's all, all feels the same. It's all the but same we, day. We, yeah. We, but we had, we had like a full checklist of like, you know, every, all, all of this must be done before any glowing screens. That's what it says on the top. And, and we, we, you know, we've actually made that quite robust, what they needed to do. So even though it was the summer, they still had, their, you know, started to do, you know, math. They started to do other things that they were assigned uh, because it's still part of our edu- home education program. And they had chores and a lot more chores than I ever used to have. Uh, and so like pretty substantial stuff before they could go to it. And, uh, and that's one of the things we did. Another thing we did uh, that's, that's, that's changed the culture of our home so that we've had to have less sort of less rules around tech. Starting when they were young, we, we read about this idea of having a coin game. Do you want those details about this? Is this useful? Yeah, do it. We get, you give each of your children 10 coins like currency, each coin, each token is worth, they can exchange for various things, uh, either half an hour of screen time or 50 cents. Hmm. They, get, they get 10, so they have five hours of screen time that they can spend in this given week. Now, they can earn more tokens by reading for half an hour equals one token. Um, so they can either earn more money or more screen time by reading. Now, What's great about the system once you get it set up is that you shift the responsibility for 
thinking about all of this to the children. And they were quite young. I mean, they weren't, they, they were certainly, I'm going to try and remember their age, but certainly under 10 uh, when they were doing this. And, and they, they just started reading so much more. Just, they just, it was like this tipping point of reading. So whereas and they would have been just watching TV, they would read, read. And then, of course, they get lost in reading because reading is its own reward. And, and since then, I mean, we were just, my eldest graduated high school a couple of years early. And so she's been at a local college here. And, but we're applying now for the goal university. And, uh, and, and as we were doing it, we said, oh, you know, you should probably should add up the books that you've read. And we're, we're, we're coming close to about 200 books. And maybe that doesn't sound that many to people, but I mean, you know, that's like, I mean, she's 17 years old. She read 200 books. That's 200 more than I think some people have read at 17. So, yep. so, and, and those are, I mean, most of that has been the just books she's interested in reading. She wants to read. So, so reading has become a big part of the family culture. And I, it's invisible to me now. They've read far more than me, uh, novels, far more novels than I've read. Um, and certainly at their age. Uh, we were on a vacation recently, uh, well, before COVID, but somebody came up to me, tapped on me on the shoulder. I was in a line picking up the rental car and they said, oh, these are your kids over there. And I'm worried, you know, what kids <laughs> doing. And they're all sitting on this bench and each one of them is reading, you know, paper book, no digital. And, and I was, oh yeah. And, and they just thought that was, that was a special moment. And it was, but I realized it wasn't that unique. Mm-hmm. When we travel, especially, they just, one of their rules, and it's not, we're not self-imposed from us. It's like, oh, make sure you bring a book. Because whenever you're waiting, they can read a book and they're into these. I mean, I think it's, this is, so I think it's a cultural shift rather than, rather than you want to just, uh, you know, no, you're not on media. Right. It's, it's, it's get them into something that is yeah. relaxing and, and, and escape. We do need to escape, but just let's make that as productive play. Absolutely. I'm mindful of your time, Greg, so I'm going to wrap it up with one more question. You say essentialism isn't about doing more things. It's about doing more of the right things. Yeah. And I say experiencing Jomo is about deepening our attachment to what matters most and joyfully missing out on the rest. (laughs) Mm, That's lovely. What are some commitments or constraints that you use in your own life to help you live out the essentialist or we could say the Jomo way of life? Uh, yeah, constraints that I use. I mean, one of the constraints is, uh, is scheduling certain things as unquestionable. So, you know, routines, uh, every Monday night is a family night and has been for 20 years. So, so Anna and I did that when we first did. It. And, and the only exceptions to that have been when I've traveled on Monday. Um, and even then I'll, even then I'll, all in a video in for at least a portion of it, but the, and the rest of them are still here together. So there's not, we're not doing school events. We're not going, you know, busily doing homework through that time. We are together. And honestly, there's plenty of Monday evenings where I have felt like, Ooh, I am pretty tired now, you know? And if we hadn't just said, we're just doing it every week, we would have easily just, you know, made it optional, mm-hmm. but it wasn't optional. It's easier to be a hundred percent on decisions like that than it is to be 80%. You just don't question it. You just, you're doing it. And so, so that's an example, but there are other things like that that we've done. I mean, Sundays are definitely a, we've tried to make Sunday, a, Sunday a Sabbath. We tried to turn the media down. We tried to say, you know, I'm not, I, when I was even at grad school, I was, well, I suppose 
just a few times at grad school, I would I would do schoolwork on a on a on a Sunday, but I would try and not do any of that. And and you know, I'm not certainly not doing business calls, you know, really ever ever on the weekend, but but 100% not on Sundays. It just have a period. I mean, it doesn't have to be Sunday. You know, choose your day. But I think there's a book that somebody wrote called. 24-6? Yeah, yeah. Tiffany I haven't read Shalane. it, actually. Look at that. I haven't, I haven't read it, but... but she I, lives near you. Oh, does she? Well, <laughs> yeah. that's good. I should I should know her. And do, but the, that's the idea, right? It, you've got to try and have... You know, that's another boundary. Um, these other practices that I'm describing, we're going for the walk for, for an hour a day. We do like a family um, council uh, in you know every morning. And we we've, as parents, have tried to limit that to about half an hour because the children want to talk so much in them. And we just, we laugh that that's our problem. And I, <laughs> we've got other problems too, but but that's like, like I, I can, oh my goodness, why, why? They want to talk about everything we're talking about here. They want to share, they want to talk, you know, and we're the ones trying to put a boundary in. And they're all, you know, three of them are teenagers now. And so that they, they, typically they would be moody, off on their own, not talking, whatever. And that's not how it's been. It, and, and, and I'm sorry, because I'm sure some people, they're like, yeah, well, you lost me now. Uh, you know, that's not my reality. And I, and I don't mean to. But, but I, think if, I think that's what essentialism, I think that's what putting boundaries on does, where you, where you start early to get rid of some of this noise and this, uh, these addictions and these consumptions. And, 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 and so essentialism becomes quite a natural part of your culture, mm-hmm. becomes a way of living. And in fact, I just had, I just had the most amazing conversation on, on the, uh, on my podcast with, it hasn't launched yet, but it's with uh, the CEO of, of Uncharted. If you haven't spoken to him, you might want to, that he read Essentialism a while ago, a few years ago, and he kind of got into it himself. He was really a certain type of hard driving entrepreneur before that. Then. Where it really gets interesting is where he got it into his company and it became a cultural thing. And they used it as a way to explore creating a four-day work week. Mm-hmm. And so now after the experiment, they've gone through it 2020, they've experimented, they assessed it, they've done a whole series of quite robust things to make sure that they weren't just, hey, yeah, sure, we like the idea of four-day work week. But they have found that they really can do as create as much value within four days as they used to do within five days. And that's official policy now at the company and they see all these benefits to it. And uh, oh, did I already mention this? Am I, you am did. I... <laughs> you already talked about it. But what I hear you saying is that, you know, deciding on these non-negotiables, right? And building your life out from that. That's what I keep hearing you say over and over again with these I, I can't believe I just shared that twice. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like show, shows you what COVID brain is, uh, is, is, is doing to me. It's but a I, real thing. Well, it is. And, and, and I just, I am just really taken with the story. I mean, obviously, obviously, double double portion here. Uh, but I, I, I think it's it's permission. I guess it's kind of permission for me too. I've loved interviewing essentialists and seeing what people have done beyond what I imagined or what I have yet done. Whether that's the five o'clock at night thing or now with the four day work week, I'm like, okay, well, what's your excuse? You know. I, I could move to a four-day work week. I, I have that privilege, sure, but it's an opportunity. But I haven't yet. Why haven't I? What now? Now I'm grappling with it myself. I had BJ Fogg on. You know BJ Fogg from Tiny Habits. Yes, yes. I had him on, and I did something. I won't say it was clever. That seems presumptuous, but but it was it was really fun and created some little magical moment because 
the first half of the interview, I did an intervention with him. Like, what's, what is essential for you you're not investing in? And he said, uh, basically, he said the three-day weekend. Uh, that's what we got to. And then I said, okay, well, you're the tiny habits guy. So now the rest of this conversation, you need to show me using all your practices and research how you can make this change. Hmm. And so it was really fun to see both the essentialism in the first half and then his tiny habits in the second half for execution could work together. And so these are like, I can see these messages like being revealed, you know, little, little prompts, little taps that maybe I need to figure out how to do this too. Isn't that, isn't that an example of Jomo Shirley where you say, I'm constructing my life different. Who said, this is what this guy said. Thanks. This is his name. He said, he said, who said it? Who made up that it has to be five days? Who made that up? Somebody decided that. Well, what if it wasn't? Mm-hmm. What if you did four days? What if you designed your life differently? Maybe that's, it's not going to work for everybody, but it's, uh, to me, that's, uh, that's a natural extension to the conversation of Joma. We're going to wrap it up, but do you have any final thoughts about this topic? I, just to give you some um, context, my listeners are everything from founders to creatives, designers, uh, academics around the world. Uh, what's a good next step for someone on the path to essentialism? First step to being an essentialist, I'm confident about this now, is, uh, is that you, you write up this question, you put it somewhere you see it, and you ask it every day for a while. And it's just the simplest question is, what is the most important thing I need to do today? That's it. And I, I was really taught that. That sounds like something that would be written in essentialism, but I, it's, not. it's not. That's not what's in there. But somebody who read it, Joanna Davey from the UK, read the book, and that's what she took away from it, right? That's what she kind of summarized it. And so she starts doing this. At first, her answers are all career-related. But then slowly, they became, the answers changed. The questions are the same, but the answers changed, and it became about self-care and looking after herself. And she sent me a photograph before and after of just her in her total exhausted state and her in normal state. And actually, it's pretty shocking. Um, but then she said, one day her dad calls her and says, look, your mom's in the hospital. It's nothing serious. You got way too much in your plate. Don't bother coming. I just want to let you know. But she said she remembers that moment. And she remembers thinking of the question, well, what's the most important thing I need to do today? And she says, I remember the weather outside. Everything seemed to stand still. And I knew this was the most important thing. I have to go two hours to that hospital uh, and be there with my mom. She does. She gets to say to her mom, you look, I love you. Everything's going to be okay. Her mother says, yeah, I love you too. But within one hour of then, her mother slipped into a coma, never to recover. They turned off the life support machine a week later. And she said, look, that moment, that could be so different. That day could have been so different. That experience could have been so different if I wasn't an essentialist. And so I think that story illustrates the power of, of asking a, an essentialist question once, you know, just every day, just coming back to it, the answers will change and you will not regret the trade-offs you make in service of that question. You won't be saying, I wish I read this 50 years ago. You won't be saying, I wish I read it 50 years ago. That's exactly right. Greg, thanks so much for being with me been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the JomoCast. Learn more about our guests in the show notes and by visiting JomoCast.com. And remember to subscribe to the JomoCast to be the first to hear our latest episodes. A special announcement about the Patreon. I'm going to start sharing the uncut Zoom videos of all of my interviews exclusively in the Patreon. So if you're interested in getting more bonus content and a handwritten note in the mail, 
and a shout out on the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're interested in helping us keep these raw, vulnerable conversations going, leave us a five-star review or share today's podcast with your friends. I hope the rest of your day brings you peace and that you embrace the joy of missing out.